I want to go ahead and say real quick, you, I think you've gotten to hear a great sampling of the leaders' hearts uh, this morning. Um, we literally broke bread together on Wednesday night by pulling our pizza slices apart into our own plates. Um, but it was just a time, and uh, I, wanted, I wanted to use this very quickly before we go into Matthew 12 to commend um, our elders and deacons. You hear from me, you see me a lot, um, you get texts from me, but one of my big takeaways from Wednesday night at the very end was just a, I'm so glad I can trust you men. Like to hear their hearts for the church and to be able to not force their own way or just also say, well, well, Ricky, it's, it's whatever you, it's, it's like a, a commonality. There's a unity of spirit. And so you do have two deacons um, in the church that were recognized. We have Matt Jarvis right here. We have Trent McKinley uh, back here. Um, just as we saw in, in Acts, choose men who are full of the spirit and wisdom. That's exactly what you have in those two deacons. Our, our two other elders are Mike or Brownie. And, uh, and Andy, and you got to hear their hearts, and men who are able to teach, who love the Lord, who manage their households well, um, who lead in wisdom and purity. Um, that's what you have in those men. And so I want to commend those other leaders who are were sitting there really wrestling with, okay, Lord, you have been doing this, and we've seen the Lord doing this, so so what do we do? And so I just I just wanted to it was, it was a great thing to sit there um, as a lead pastor, as only one of the elders, and, and to know that there are no competing agendas. There's just a unity of how can we honor the Lord as we have from the beginning, and what is He doing here? And, um, and uh, we, we would talk about a topic, and then it would kind of spiral over here, and then we'd come back to it, and then we would find a path, and then we'd come back to it because we wanted to search it out with wisdom. And we found that the wisest thing to do was what we should have been doing from the beginning, which is all of us praying humbly for, Lord, how will you lead us and, and, and what do you want us to do? And so um, we're, we're excited um, because we also in the moment in that we got to sit there and just go, yeah, but have you seen what the Lord's doing here? Like this is a like this is where the Lord is working. This is where the Lord is. Working. It was it's kind of neat to celebrate those things as well. So here we go. Just by show of hands, how many of you read the passage before today? And you still showed up. Thank you. Okay. I intentionally did not remind anyone what our passage was about today. Um, but if you were tracking with our sermon series, this would be the one where most people would be like, you know what, dear? This is a great weekend to go up to Branson. We just haven't gotten out of town in a while. This is a passage that it, it'll, if we, if we really want to deal with our hearts and, and Scripture, and I know we do, then this is a pretty convicting passage. So I'm just telling you on the front end, I thought about having everybody raise their right hand and say, I know that Ricky did not write this sermon for me. Okay, I'm going to, I did not. The Lord is working on me and I needed this sermon. I needed this passage in scripture. You need this passage in scripture. We need it collectively. And we need to figure out how we walk it out together very humbly and gently but uh, genuinely as we go forward. But I didn't remind you of this passage because I didn't want you to all read it and be like, oh, you know what? <laughs> I probably just need to stay home in case I was possibly exposed to someone who was also exposed to a virus this week. Like, we're just, we needed to be here for this. Okay, so here we go. This, this sermon 
is going to be in Matthew 12, verses 33 through 37. And I need you to hear me also that, that we are here in 33 through 37. And I know we know this, but it's because we were in verses um, 32 on back before that. And, and before that was a passage before and the passage before. This is where the sermon series as we move expositionally through Matthew. This is where it leads us. And Jesus speaking says in 33 through 37, either make the tree good, good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Oh, let's pray. Lord, your word open before us that you have breathed and recorded and preserved for all time so that we may know. Lord, guard our hearts, convict our hearts. And Lord, teach us to trust you. And we praise on your son's holy name. Amen. What is the main thrust of this passage? And it's this, that our words reveal our true character. But it's not even the words that we plan to speak and then we talk about how we're going to communicate and what people, but the words that we speak reveal who we actually truly are. And it's not always the words that we plan. It's those words that we think of as careless. It's the words that are probably the most casual, unguarded moments of our days in our safe spots, even with our spouses, whenever we're speaking and we're, we're just sharing in a safe environment, those casual, unguarded, safe moments, those careless words that we think insignificant, they actually reveal our heart. And Jesus says that we speak out of the abundance of our heart. And Jesus says that we will give an account for every careless word that we speak. So we need this today. I need this today. So here we go. First off, what's the context? Because, you know, context always matters. It's who's he talking to? Because if he's not talking to us, then we're okay. If he's just talking to the Pharisees, then we're good, right? Because the Pharisees, they didn't get it. We get it. We would never be Pharisees. He's got three groups that he could possibly be talking to. He could be, he could be talking to his disciples who were around him. He could have been talking to the crowds that were still gathered around him. That's in context. He could have been talking to the Pharisees. If Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and here's the context, then we need to listen as his disciples. If he's speaking to the crowds, then we need to listen to how he instructs them. And if he's speaking to the Pharisees, then we need to listen to how he admonishes and corrects them as well. Whoever he's speaking to, we still need these words. Who's he talking to? I believe all three of the groups. So walk with me through those. I think he's speaking to all, all three of them. His disciples would have been there. The crowds would have been there. The Pharisees would have been there. So therefore, let's talk about the Pharisees. Possible that, it's, that he's directing it at them because he says, he refers to them as a brood of vipers. And he, John the Baptist actually does this in Matthew chapter 3. The Pharisees and Sadducees come out and he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you? So that's possible. 
And I think that that's, I think that that matters right here. But listen to the Pharisees, because sometimes we tend to think of, the, well, there's the Pharisees and there, there's no connection between us because I get it. They don't get it. Or I'll just tell you, all I would have been a great Pharisee. I am an incredible Pharisee. You give me the rules. You tell me what needs to be done. I can check the boxes. We need to be careful that we don't just categorize the Pharisees over here because Nicodemus was a Pharisee and Nicodemus knew the law and saw the Lord and he and he saw and he was there to bury the Lord like he is. A, the Pharisees are not so far gone. But listen to this. Let's frame it in this way. The Pharisees in that generation, they were regarded as a generation of saints. They were the representatives of those who worshiped God and honored God. They understood and knew God. They honored him. The, the culture would have looked at them. The crowds looked at them to know God's expectations. Much as we bear the exact same weight on us today. Or you're a Christian, you represent Christ. We have the same gravity placed upon us. The problem is that they missed the Savior and therefore they were missing God's incredible work. So they were missing it in that way. But let's listen today, realizing that weight, that as they were supposed to be God's ambassadors, knowing that an onlooking world understands that they were representing a holy God, you and I bear that exact same weight today. The Pharisees, we can't just cast them off. There were Pharisees who did believe. There were Pharisees who would seek the Lord. Jesus also could be referring to the crowds. Those who, who knew of his fame, who heard of him, they were gathering in. Just because somebody was healed doesn't mean that they became a believer. Doesn't mean that they rejoiced in the Lord. There were ten lepers who were healed and only one came back to praise him for who he was. There were those who were healed and sat in his teaching and yet they would desert him. So he could have very well, and he refers to them, by the way, to the, to the crowds to remember this generation. And he refers to them as an adulterous and evil generation. So brood of vipers could fit right there too. He could very well have been establishing for the listening crowds what holiness really meant. What he really expected. So that may be some of us today. There may be some of us today who are not followers of Jesus in this very moment, but we're looking into the faith wondering, what does God actually desire of holiness? Because we've seen what modern Christianity actually looks like. So for onlookers into this faith, wondering what a holy God really desires of his creation, this passage helps us too. And then what if it was for his disciples? No doubt, every time Jesus taught, his disciples were listening. And we have moments where he steps aside with his disciples. Whenever we get to the parables, we'll see this. Where he has just deeper moments with them, where he explains it even more. So that may be some of us today. As his disciples, followers of Jesus, we need to hear from the Lord and what he desires of us. Jesus' word, words are spoken so that we may know. The question is not, has he told us? It's, will we listen? We need this passage today. And I am sitting, I am standing up here completely imperfect in this. Just trying to communicate the words of Scripture so that we understand them. And then I need you alongside me to hold me accountable too and say, do you feel like you're getting a little too flippant with your words here? Do you feel like you're probably griping too much? Do you feel like you're lamenting and gossiping? Do you feel like you're being like, it's okay, you know, for you to hold me accountable and speak into my life in that way. Sometimes you just have to, as I'm talking, you just have to go, I, I hear you, but probably just don't need to be talking right now. That you would care about my holiness so much that you would be willing to do that. I love that. 
That's what biblical Christianity is, is that we are for one another and we are with one another going forward um, into eternity. So here we go. The illustration he gives, the illustration is this in verse 12. I'm sorry, in chapter 12, verse 33, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. Now, this is not the first time that the tree illustration has been used. Flip back to Matthew chapter seven. So it's a couple of pages back. Now, in Matthew chapter seven, he talks about the tree and it seems like maybe he's talking about something else because he's talking about false prophets there. And I'm going to contend with you that he's talking about the exact same thing. False prophets, yes. Our speech, yes. The heart, absolutely. Look at Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. It says this. Jesus speaking, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Flip back to 12. In 7, he was talking about false prophets. He says, hey, you're going to know the false prophets. They're going to seem like sheep. They're going to seem gentle and loving. They're going to seem like Christians, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Here he's saying that the words that we speak reveal who we truly are also. For example, whenever he's talking about the trees, we can talk about the good and the bad. We could also look at it this way. An orange tree will only produce oranges, not apples, not bananas. They grow on trees. Okay, good. And, and an apple tree will only produce apples, not oranges, not bananas. We, we know what tree we're looking at based on the leaves, based on the pattern, based on the fruit that it produces. Matthew 7 was pointing us to this, that false prophets will be known by the fruit that they produce in their ministries. And here in 12, Jesus' point is that our words reveal what kind of tree we actually, truly are. Our words reveal our heart. Our words reveal our genuine character of who we truly are. Matthew Henry states it this way. The heart is the root. The language is the fruit. I like that. So the words that we speak really are showing us where we're truly rooted. Okay, we're going to go a little bit further. Next two verses, 34 through 35, say this. This is the abundance of the heart. He says, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Okay, so I think the principle is, is clear. Don't want to, to miss the very convicting sentence. So look at that it says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Greek word that, that we translate for abundance actually means the overflow or the excess. So the words that come out, let's sit down here because this is, we're getting deeper into this passage, okay? The words that we speak come out of the overflow of what's actually in our heart. It's actually revealing. Why would we even say that word? Why would we even speak those things in our like calmest, most like holy moments? We look back, we're like, why would I even say it? Because it was there already. So it's out of the abundance of the heart. In other words, that which fills our heart will flow from our lips. And it flows from our lips because it fills our heart. Therefore, what we speak 
is just showing the abundance of our hearts. All right, I'll put it this way. Our tongue drops into the deep well of our hearts and brings out what fills that space. So if you picture a well out in the middle of a field, that bucket goes down and it's going to bring up either um, some, some pure water or some toxic water. It's not just going to bring out a swath of poisoned water. It's because water infiltrates, it saturates. So whatever's in that water, it's bringing it up. And so is it going to bring up a, like some poison water? Is it going to bring up random, uh, is it going to bring up gentleness? It brings out what fills the heart. So therefore we keep going to this verse, Matthew 12, 36. Every careless word says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. This is probably where we get a little bit more uncomfortable. You and I and everyone will give an account for every careless word that we speak. And the word careless there is, is argos. The Greek word actually means that which we think insignificant. So those words that we think insignificant today. In other words, there are, there are things that we plan to speak, statements that we plan to make, conversations that we've calculated and we plan on having and we know what we're going to say, what we're going to do. And then there are words that we don't plan, things that we haven't thought all the way through, that we don't esteem them as really being of much worth. Like we're just talking, right? It's, we're just having conversations. We're just sharing these insignificant words and phrases and conversations, those are the careless words that the Lord also hears. So these words are also heard by our Lord. He cares about every word, y'all, that passes through our lips. Because in those words is, get this, the vocalization and the tenor of our true heart. Our words are such a true reflection, in fact, that it is by them our faith is either proven true or false, justified or condemned. I wish I could sit even lower. I do not speak perfectly. We're, gonna be, we're about to look at other verses that kind of shape this more for us. Sometimes I just need you to say, you should probably quit talking. <laughs> the Lord is hearing you. You can do that. It'll go well enough, probably. <laughs> Stop right there. But isn't this terrifying that the most careless words that we speak, a holy God listens to and cares about, and we're going to be judged on those. What words have we spoken that we did not even give a second thought to? How much, I'm going to give you two scopes, how much cruelty, selfishness, frustration, jealousy, envy, filthiness, unkindness, ungracious, hatefulness, hypocrisy, how much is reflected in those words in that insignificant moment? Or how much love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are reflected in those words and in those insignificant words as well. These are words that may be spoken to strangers, to friends, to pastors, teachers, to spouses, and anywhere that words are spoken, our heart is actually truly exposed at every single moment. By our words, we will be condemned. By our words, we'll be justified because they reflect our hearts. And if there's even a bit of evil in our hearts, it will come out. It's just the nature. 
of what's going to happen. If there is the purity in our hearts, it will come out. It's just the nature of our words. It's what fills our hearts. And so here's a thought that stopped me also beyond just kind of going, oh, my goodness. Like, if only I could just learn to not say a word. Like, if I could just not speak. Here's what stopped me, too. If God cares so much about my careless words, then how much more so the words that I actually plan to say? Because we do that also. We plan out what we're going to say because we're going to make a point. We're going to make sure like that, that this is very clearly said, and that may be for good or, let's get honest, it may be for bad because... We've got to make a point. We've got to be clear that this is where we stand. He cares about all those conversations, not only publicly, but privately with our spouses, with our friends, and even in the privacy of our hearts. But we do need to learn to understand that every word we speak is revealing to us our heart. Why in the world did we say that? Because it was there. And it's probably the truest, most genuine thing you could have said in the moment. We don't like it, but it, teach, it pulls us back to our hearts. Now, that's what the passage says. I want us to look at other passages about words. And I realize that this may be the most silent day that you have as you go from here. Taking out all of our vocabulary, all of our conversations. But I do want us to move through Scripture. And then I want us to find, again, comfort in the conviction that we have at the very end. Let's start in Ephesians. There are many who would say in our church culture, they're just words. I mean, they're empty words. What are, we'll, we'll even try and justify and rationalize it. Well, what's a cuss word? I mean, it's just what culture said is a cuss word, right? I mean, it's not really a cuss word. Words have empty meaning and we just fill them up. Well, what are they filled up with? That still reveals who we are. I would contend that scripturally words are not empty in meaning, but words actually have weight. And we know that they have weight. We're just trying to justify our own sin. I cannot defend it, and I cannot find any reason why a pastor would be able to defend being okay cussing or making a snide, hateful remark about anybody. And that's just because I'm looking at Scripture. There was a pastor who was known as the, the cussing pastor, and I listened, and I was like, why? Would you even think, like, where's the gentleness? Where's the grace in that? How does that honor the holiness of the Lord? That's just one example. And I need you to know that even as I use examples like that, there are literally hundreds and thousands of pastors who have these convictions, who are seeking to speak in gentleness and holiness, and who are trying to hold their words and be held accountable by their words. So I'm just saying, like, here's what Scripture says. For you and for me... For the Pharisees, for the crowds, for the disciples. Here's what God's word says as his expectations. And I cannot grab all of them. I'm just grabbing a, 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 a group. Let's do Ephesians 4, verses 29 through 32. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, 
forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. No corrupting talk comes out of the mouth, only that which gives grace for others who will be hearing. Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 4. It doesn't stop, by the way. They just All the verses just keep going. Ephesians 5, 3 through 4. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Verse 4 is, is kind of the key one on speech, but I think that the five words before it help frame it as is proper among the saints. So in other words, this conduct, don't, don't participate in it, only those things which are proper among the saints. And then he goes into our speech as well. Our speech is what should be proper among the saints. You and I do not speak as the world. We speak as saints. We speak as those who have been called out of darkness into his eternal light. We do not belong to the kingdom of the world, therefore we do not use their speech. We belong to the kingdom of God, therefore we learn his speech. And learning speech also means learning to not say those things which are so comfortable and ingrained in who we are. To learn a new language, we have to adopt the new language and we have to immerse ourselves in it. And in two passages alone, we learn that the, the language we should be having is that which is grace and thanksgiving. But there should be no corrupting talk, there should be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking. Go to Ephesians 5.12. Look at this one. says, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. We're not even supposed to be talking about it. It's shameful. Why? Because we should not be even discussing those things which call to recollection the evil and the filthiness and the, the cruelty of this world. Look at Philippians. So if you're ever wondering, you've got your, you got Acts, you've got Romans, you've got your Corinthians. And then you're going to hit Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. God's Electric Power Company, like G-E-B-C, or P-C. So that's how you can kind of put, keep them in order. My kids taught me that one. From the mouth of babes, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, God's Electric Power Company. Okay, you could just learn the books of the Bible, but that one sticks better. All right, Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. Oh, do not like this verse. Like my, this is right where I go. So, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And other translations say complaining. So do all things without grumbling, disputing, or complaining. Why? That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So all things without grumbling or complaining, because in our grumbling and complaining, those are the words that we will express and we will be judged and our heart will be revealed, is what Matthew says. We're going to get away from that verse pretty quickly. Go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, and I think we tend to focus on the deed, 
but in word. So whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and Father through him. As you speak, you speak knowing that you are doing this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Conversations with your spouse, with your friends, whenever you're having these careless words, everything should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we were to just like rewind this morning and think about our careless words, what would that reveal? Or if we went back the last 24 to 48 hours, because I'm married and so like I have this safe space and so, so Chas and I will speak. We'll talk to each other, which is what you're supposed to do. But it's sometimes in the comfort of that relationship too that, that maybe we don't caution each other like we should as well. Because we'll just talk. We'll grumble, we'll complain. Like, well, we're not speaking um, in a way maybe that honors the Lord. We're maybe, I'm talking about me, she's always speaking very purely and rightly, and she says, I will hold my tongue and not speak so that I may not sin against my Lord. Like, she probably does that better than I do. But the truth is that in word or deed, whatever it is that you and I are doing today, it's in the name of the Lord. And he cares about every careless word that we're going to say. I don't just mean careless whenever you're working on a project and it doesn't go well and the careless word comes out. I mean careless even as we're driving down the road and we're just casually having conversations. Scripture is giving us a mirror for our heart and showing us there's still sin that we need to deal with, y'all. That's probably what we're finding today. James chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. James the great meddler, the one who who really knows who we are and just throws it down and says, deal with it. James, in chapter 1, verse 19 through 21, says this. This actually is a verse that I've, I've memorized. I need, I need verse 19. I, I really have tried to live this one out. I'm just not very good at it. But praise God, I'm better than I used to be on this one. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. There's a correlation in those because it's usually in our anger and frustration that we're going to say something that we shouldn't. So we need to be quick to listen. We need to be very slow to speak and we need to be very slow to anger. Those are parallel phrases. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, or slow to anger, slow to speak, quick to hear. Parallelism means that they all have the exact same weight. There's the same emphasis on them. Now I want to put it all in context, because watch this, 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, with humility, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Go to James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. This actually hits all the way back to Matthew chapter 12. As you hear it, you'll, you'll see the correlation. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And we tend to focus right there as a way to kind of like remove ourselves from the situation. Like, I don't want that greater judgment on me. Like, there's not, you are teaching along the way, by the way. 
everybody is always watching you. We are always instructing. We are making disciples as we go, which means like an, an onlooking world is looking at us for genuine, actual, authentic faith. The world is actually hungry for this. Um, Ecclesiastes says that eternity has been implanted in our hearts, but not so much so that man can understand God's working from the beginning, which is why we have to tell them. What is that yearning in their heart? What is it that they are drawn to? What is it that they are um, that is pulling them to worship something? So I don't think, by the way, that James meant chapter 1 to be a great disqualifier to remove people, but I do think he meant it as a great condition that if we are going to teach, we better be oh so careful. And I'm just telling you, you're all teaching someone, somehow, somewhere, in some way. Now, what follows is for the teachers, but it's also for all of us because we're all working on our words. Verse 2 says, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If he puts bits into, I'm sorry, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, they are driven by and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God, is what verse 9 says. From the same mouth, verse 10, come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. And it's what I do. Flip all the way back to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 4. says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You know why? Because, yes, he is all-knowing, because he cares about his creation, but also because he knows our hearts. He knows who we are. And can I just tell you, he knew who we were, but he also knew who we would be in him whenever he came to die for us. We're going to get to that here in just a moment, Okay. I want you to flip to Proverbs 10, 19. It's our, uh, it's our last in this string, and then, then I want to I bring this all together. Proverbs 10, 19. I'm trying to learn this one. I'm just not really good at it. Proverbs 10, 19. 
When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So we don't use the word transgression a lot. We would translate it this way. When, when many words are spoken, sin is inevitable. NIV, I think, puts it something a little bit more similar to that. Where there are many words, so there is sin. Something like that. We might just be talking too much. Like, I don't know. We have a beginner sign language cl- uh, club here at Union. So, but I don't think that that gets us away from we're still communicating with words. That which we communicate is revealing who we truly are, more so than we want it to. All right, so I want to give some clarifications to kind of pull all this together. A good summary of this entire passage back in Matthew 12 is this. This came from the Applied New Testament commentary. I thought they just wrapped it all up really well. Our careless words so accurately reveal what is in our hearts that Jesus says we will be judged by our words. We will either be acquitted or condemned by our words. When God judges us, He looks at our heart. And these careless words issue from our heart. A good heart will always produce good words, and an evil heart will produce evil words. Therefore, by our words, God is able to judge our hearts. I've got some clarifications for you now. Number one, I hear this one a lot. But if I'm saved, then I can speak how I want because I'm forgiven. It's, they're just words, right? Romans 6, I'm going to be in 6, 1 through 4, and then 12 through 15. I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to, it's in Romans 6. 1 through 4 says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He goes on, he says, Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into His death. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. So that's Romans 6, 1 through 4, and 12 through 15. I just I, I brought those together so we get the, the, the um, continuity of his point because he breaks down some illustrations in there. So I am saved. I'm under grace. Everything's forgiven, right? I can continue on. They're just words. Oh, by no means. If we know it's sin and we continue in sin, that was never the point of grace. Clarification number two. As we sit here today, I really just need to fix my tongue. That's what we would probably say. I really just need to fix my tongue. Taming the tongue is not the answer, y'all. We're called to tame the tongue. That language comes from James, but it also says that no man can tame the tongue. Only the Spirit of God can tame the tongue. Like That was the point of that passage. Taming the tongue is not the answer that we should be, hey, I'm going to leave here and I'm just going to work on these things right here. We speak from the overflow of our hearts. If our words really, truly reveal who we are, we do not need a tamed tongue. We need a renewed heart. That's the issue, is that our heart has more sin in it than we probably want to recognize and deal with. And this is the work of the Lord through repentance. So as we turn from our sin of our careless words... 
through confession and rejecting of that, repenting of it, then we can know that we are forgiven. Church, brothers and sisters, hear this. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we're sitting here today and thinking that we just need to get our act together and to do better, then we are entirely missing the point of the gospel, which says that you cannot get it together on your own. God must do a work within you and within me. The gospel is that because we have sin and because we do sin, we need someone to save us from ourselves. We need someone to save us from our careless words. We need someone to save us from that heart which still becomes impure because we are prone to wonder. We are prone to leave the one we love. We have self-destructive tendencies in our hearts and we accept it. That's why we still sin. Listen to Jeremiah 17.9. Remember, all my notes are always fully available. You just shoot me a text and I'll share it with you so you always have what I say. That way you can always test every word that any of us preaches or speaks. Jeremiah 17.9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Which is why in Jeremiah 36, he promises the new covenant, which is this. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to carefully observe my ordinances. Now, this is God's work in us. If we even care about the conviction and the heaviness of this passage, it's because his working within us or because of his working within us. It's because he's put a new heart within us where we're not okay with the impurity that comes in. If we're receptive to his statutes and his laws, it's because he's working within us. You know, we don't need an action plan for improving our speech. We need to be obedient and humble before our God and let the Spirit within us tame our tongue. One last thing, and this is pastoral and personal, like for you, but it's just some advice. The junk that we take in, that we entertain ourselves with, with, it will corrupt our hearts, thoughts, and speech. What we take in will corrupt us. What we listen to, what we watch, who we entertain, and what entertains us, it affects our hearts. This is why at our house, we use enjoy movies. I know, I'm going to get a commission for this someday. But I highly endorse a, a something like enjoy movies. It's a filtering service. And so we have this on our Roku. I believe it can be put on smart TVs. It can be put on iPhones and laptops. And if you put it on your computer, then it will even apply itself to YouTube. But with Enjoy Movies, you connect your Netflix, your Amazon, your Disney Plus, and you go in and you set the filters and it removes the cuss words that you want it to remove. It even removes words like idiot and stupid head. Like whatever you deem to be like the careless words that you don't want your kids or yourself exposed to, like the Lord's name in vain, um, also things that we do not need ourselves to be exposed to or that we want our kids exposed to. I don't buy the whole, well, it's just the way of the world and they're going to be exposed to it some way. Yeah, but not in my house, right? So Enjoy Movies does that. I'm sharing that so that you understand that I don't even watch shows and movies without this service running. Why? Because I want to guard my heart. Am I not an adult? And I can, I can just, like, I can balance these things out. I would say more, I am a sinner and I am prone to wonder, why welcome and accept a, tempt a temptation if I can avoid it? So I'm not even 
adults looking at you saying, hey, give this for your kids, though I am. I'm saying it's probably a healthy step that we need to put in place for ourselves. Because what we listen to, what we entertain, what we take in, it does make us um, more, um, more prone to tolerate those things. So we cannot entertain unholiness and not really think that it doesn't affect us, is my point. Even if it's not in our speech, maybe it's in our thoughts. Maybe it's in our joy or lack thereof, our general purity. You know, what we allow, we deem as somewhat acceptable in one way or another. We have that conversation even at our house. Dad, they said, oh, my G-O-D. And you know what I'll say? I know, I'm sorry. Hopefully they won't do that again. Oh, no, like parenting fell. Like step into the moment. Yeah, that's not okay to use the Lord's name in vain. That's a careless word. The holy one, the majestic one, I cannot excuse that. Let's just be careful, brothers and sisters, is all I'm trying to say. That's one personal pastoral thing. Let's just be careful because of the holiness of God. Let's be, be sensitive to these things. Proverbs 4, 23 through 27 says this, and then I'm going to bring it all, like then we're going to land this plane. Proverbs 4, 23 through 27 says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Returning all the way back to verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance. Another translation says, guard your heart, for from it flow the springs of life. That's the heart of the message. We speak from the abundance of our heart. We need to be guarding our hearts so much more. And you need to know that when we bring any sin before our God, because just because we're saved doesn't mean that we don't sin. It just means that we hate the sin that's within us. Whenever we bring any sin before him, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. But we cannot continue to persist in the sin and allow it. So, do you really want to know the state of your heart? Do I really want to know the state of my heart? What do my words reveal, both the intentional and the unintentional, both the careful and the careless, According to Jesus, our words do reflect our hearts. So I could ask, how's your heart? Like as an application question, but it might be better to say, how are your words? Because the words reflect the heart. And then I want to remind you of this, brothers and sisters in Christ, those whom he has died for, fully atoned for, once and for all time, and we together will be in his presence. I want to remind you that though we have felt, he will forgive that He will uphold, He will sustain, He does redeem, and He will hold you fast even when your faith is weak. He's still the God who will never let you go. It's because He never lets us go that we want to press into holiness more and more and more. May the praises of my mouth and the meditations of my heart give you praise is what the psalmist says. And I think that that's an incredible prayer for us right now. So we're going to pray, but before we jump right into a song... Brownie's just going to strum for just a little bit so that we have time before our God to deal with whatever we need to deal with here. And then we will sing and then we will go. And we will walk alongside one another in grace and tenderness and gentleness and say, hey, you're probably letting your mouth run a little bit too much, Ricky. You probably just need to stop. <laughs> and that's okay. Because if, if you don't stop me, then who will? The spirit within me? I'm still prone to leave the one I love. I'm still prone to ignore the convictions that he gives me. That's why we need one another. That's what the body of Christ does.
together for his glory. That's what we do. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your spirit has its absolute way in all of us today and that we will heed it and rejoice in it and in the conviction repent of it. But Lord, fully rest in, praise God that you died for me, a sinner such as this, because I know who I am and I need you. That's where we rejoice and we praise on your son's holy name. Amen.